Walk this way. Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's one of the cool things about what we're doing for this 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter is we're tackling the teachings of Jesus um, on what's called the Sermon on the Mount, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's his most famous teaching, Jesus' most famous teaching. You've probably heard different snippets from this teaching throughout your life uh, on occasion, um, some in the context of the church, but many maybe outside the context of the church too because we like to take little teachings of Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Wherever you are when it comes to Jesus, like you might think, you know, when he talked about being God, I think he was crazy. Some of you might think that. You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you might think that. What you find in these teachings are so profound and applicable to our everyday lives, even if you aren't sure who Jesus is, ultimately his teaching, especially in this little section, I think we would all agree, um, regardless of what you think about Jesus in, in terms of big picture, like if we took these teachings and we begin to put them into practice in our everyday lives, our culture and the world at large would become a better place, hands down. So uh, I'm going to let you off the hook and say, hey, if you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus today, don't don't back away like you, you, can be not, you can not be sure of who Jesus is and still take this. And here's what I think will happen is if you do, if you'll just take the teachings of Jesus here and begin to pursue and ask questions, I think it could actually move you closer to Jesus, which is a good thing for all of us. So we're going to talk about one of um, the themes throughout this Sermon on the Mount, and I want to do it in three different sections. So it's almost like this little progression. So here's the challenge for you before you, if, if you're thinking about um, checking the weather or whatever you're going to do here in the next few minutes, um, before you check out, I want to challenge you to think about one of these three little progressions that Jesus moves us along. And I see it as this progression. Um, I, I want you to see if, if something in you wouldn't be stirred to, to take one of his teachings and try to, to um, see where it intersects with your life in a way that might cause you to walk differently. Does that make sense? So three different pieces, and I'll wake you up at each point to say, here's the next one. <laughs> Jesus begins with uh, this uh, series of statements saying everybody, um, everybody, has the possibility of being blessed by God. You cannot just see good things as the blessing of God. You might be in a really difficult place in your life, but you might be blessed by God. God might bless you in seasons where you feel like God is distant. Are you with me? So he begins with these statements. He wants everyone to lean in a little bit because everyone is open to the blessing of God. So no matter how you lived or what you've been doing or what you've been up to or the direction of your life right now, I want you to know like God can bless you. And he goes through these statements. And then, like we said last week, he says once you open yourself to the blessing of God, regardless of where you are, you now are the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. So get salty. Be salty. Like add flavor to this, this world. Add, add God's flavor to this world uh, shine in such a way that you bring out the God colors of the earth and the world and, and community and all those kind of things. So we talked about that last week. Now, three different little moments in this sermon, Jesus talks about, um, 
He talks about peace and he talks about anger and retaliation and then loving of enemies. And this is really difficult stuff. And if, if we really open ourselves to it, I'm telling you, we'll, we will be challenged. So here's the first statement. He says this, God blesses those who work for peace and they will be called children of God. God blesses, blessed are those who are peacemakers, who work toward peace. And Jesus literally says, if we work for peace in this world, we will be called children of God. Don't you want to be a child of God? I do. I want to be thought of as, as one of God's children. And Jesus says one of the ways to receive God's blessing or one of the ways that you can, you can, you can be open to God's blessing is to work for peace in this world. Now, working towards peace is a difficult proposition. And, and we all know that. And for years, I think many of us have believed that avoiding conflict is the same as working towards peace. And it's not. Peacemaking isn't conflict avoidance. Those of you who are married, I think you can get this. Have you ever been in a disagreement with your spouse? Like a significant, no, some of you are like, no, never been in a disagreement with my spouse. You must have got married this weekend. And um, so have you ever been in a fight with your spouse and um, you decided that the best thing to do was to give each other the silent treatment? Like you're just going to be done talking. And most of us, some of us maybe do, but most of us don't live in mansions. So our houses are small. So we have to actually like see each other in the house. And, you know, you're like walking through the hallway and you don't want to talk to them because you don't want to give in. And you just are like, excuse me. Just kind of walk through the hall and, like, you don't talk. You, have you ever been there? Anybody been there? And you're like, I'm just going to avoid conflict. That is not working for peace in your home. And eventually, you're going to have to talk about the issue at hand in order to have a healthy marriage. And that's just how it works in life, that avoiding conflict and some of us avoid conflict. Some of us are codependent, and we, don't want, we want everyone to like us. We don't want to cause any problems. We don't want anyone. And if you're codependent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so you just avoid any kind of conflict. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about pursuing peace and working in difficult spaces to move towards peace. Um, James, the, the brother of Jesus, gives us some really good words about this. He says this, and this gets to the heart of it. And so this is the challenging piece. So if those of you who feel like, ah, I don't know if I'm a peacemaker, here's the challenging piece. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. In other words, like the lack of peace it comes from jealousy and selfish ambition. Wherever you find tension and, and intense conflict, think about this, I mean, just to, to bring it home, think about this in marriage. Usually in marriage, the biggest conflicts come out of self, selfishness. 
Uh, now you're looking at me like, are you speaking from experience? <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's selfishness. It's selfish ambition that leads to so much tension in our world. And it's jealousy over what we don't have. And so what James is saying is the wisdom from above, the wisdom that God wants to give you, what he wants to bless you with, is first of all pure. There's some purity in that. And it's peace-loving and gentle at all times. And catch this next phrase. And some of you might want to highlight this or write this down or circle it or something. And willing to yield to others. Even on Shea. That was in parentheses. Even on Shea. Willing to yield to others. It is full. Last week I met a first-time guest. And they had some, um, some people who brought them. And uh, I met him right afterwards, right out here, and one of them said, um, my friend told me, I'm, it's my first time here, my friend told me you would say something about Shay. so thank you for not disappointing me today. So um, will, now I feel like I have to say it every week. So yield to, willing to yield to others, full of mercy, in other words, not giving someone what you think they deserve, like mercy, like being willing to forgive or, or hold back and the fruit of good deeds. So if it's the peacemaking thing for you, if that's something maybe that God would, would stir in your spirit, um, this is a good verse, a little series of verses from the book of James that maybe you want to write down, James chapter 3. The whole chapter is great. talks about the words that we use and, and all of that. But Jesus begins kind of what I think is a progression through the entire sermon with this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then Jesus goes into these few statements. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now, I know we read that and we're thinking, are you serious, Jesus? If I'm angry with someone, I'm subject to judgment? Have you ever lived life in the world because you get angry with people all the time. Have you ever driven on Shay? <laughs> Have you had children? Have you been married? Have you owned a business? Have you managed people? Have you had a manager? Have you had a boss? Have you been a boss? I mean, we can say any of these things, and the challenge is we're going to get angry with people. And Jesus has the audacity to say, if you're angry with someone, I mean, yeah, you shouldn't murder, but if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. And if we dig into that, why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that if you're angry with someone that you might be subject to judgment? And I think what Jesus is doing is saying that anger has the power within you to begin to bring about certain actions that would actually take life away from others. If you allow anger to control your heart and your words in certain ways, come on, then all of a sudden you could find that your words could lead to murder in ways that you never thought they would. Sticks and stones may hurt my bones or break my bones, but words will never hurt you. That's a lie, and we all know it to be true because words do destroy lives, don't they? I think all of us could probably say, I remember when someone said this to me, and I've never gotten over it. Even silly things. I, I remember um, when I was a senior in high school, 
a, a girl named Kate. I remember her name. She told me that I looked like I was getting a little chubby. I know. But listen, it did something to me, and I all of a sudden began to worry that I was going to get to a certain place in my life, and it led me down a path that was unhealthy because words can destroy your life. And anger leads to words, doesn't it? And those words begin to eat away at who we are. Look at this. Um, this is from Sky Jathani. I took a little picture. I, I wanted to draw it, but I decided not to. I took a little picture. He drew this little chart, and he said the degree of hate is kind of the bottom line, and uh, the vertical line is emotional engagement. And we begin with some annoyance, like some people annoy us. Do people annoy you? <laughs> I wish you could see sometimes what I see. I have a teenage friend, friend over here that's just going. <laughs> so there's annoyance and then anger, which gets us into an emotional place. And then we get to a place of rage. And then this interesting degree of hate, you see it all fall off. And there's this idea of contentment. And that's the place at which people um, lose their humanness to us. Sky, Sky in, in explaining this, he says, contempt seeks to diminish the inherent value of the other. And this is where anger goes in us, is we begin to view others as subhuman. They're no longer human to us. And when that happens, when anger begins to, to uh, get its roots into us, uh, we begin to exclude the other person from being worthy of care, thought, or dignity. I don't even care about you anymore. You're subhuman. This is, in many ways, what happened in Germany when, when they began to build this ideal that, that Jews were subhuman. They weren't even human, so you can do whatever you want. That's where anger can lead us. That's why Jesus says this is so important is that if you have anger in you, it can begin to create certain things that destroy the lives of others, and you begin to treat them as if they're not even human anymore. Does that make sense? And that's why anger, that's why we have to deal with anger when it begins to rear its ugly head in us, and all of us are there. Jesus says we're going to get angry. Uh, in the New Testament, also says, in your anger, do not sin. So all of us are going to be angry. It's what we do with that anger that begins to... Uh, that begins to hurt others. So that's the little second section, is what are you doing with your anger? So the first one is, are you pursuing peace? Or are you just avoiding conflict? That's a good question to wrestle with. The second one is this, what are you doing with your anger? And is it, um, is it dehumanizing toward other people? Is it dehumanizing towards other people? And then here's the, the third one. The third little section of teaching um, has to do with uh, enemies. And I told you last week, uh, you know, a couple years ago, we were in, in Israel, and here's this picture again. It's just a beautiful picture of uh, Tiberias. This is the Sea of Galilee. We're kind of looking over where Tiberias is, was the port city there. And for Jews who lived in this region, um, beautiful country, 
but they were occupied by a foreign power, right? So there was a foreign power that, were, that, that was occupying their, what they believed, God-given nation or God-given land, the promised land. They felt like um, these foreigners don't belong here. They, they're here, but they also, they own us in a sense. And if, it's hard for us to imagine what was going on, but if you lived in like the port city and you relied on fish, the fishing industry for your food and for your, your financial gain, um, what would happen is you would catch fish down in, in the Sea of Galilee, and as you came back into your city or towards your village where you lived, you would have to stop at a tax collector, and that tax collector would charge you all kinds of taxes. You would have to give them the fish that you caught so that you could pass and, and, and be a, a citizen of that place, even though it was your own land. And it's hard for us to imagine like what that would have been like. It's as if in the last two years during the pandemic when we've all been locked down here in the U.S., it's like the Canadians up there are planning some occupation of our country and the Canadians who are so quiet and we don't think they're going to do anything, all of a sudden the Canadians are going to bust in and take us over. That's not going to happen. I'm trying to get us to imagine something. Yeah, none of you can imagine Canadians doing that. They're too nice. You Canadians are too nice. I don't know. We can't even imagine it. But anyway, that's what was going on. And so Jesus wants to give them applicable daily um, ideas that might help them to see this. So, they sa so he says, you have heard the law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. So a part of the Jewish law was the idea that punishment should match the crime. Have you heard that before? We use that, don't we? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, I've never seen somebody without an eye because they did something, but an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You get the idea. Do not resist an evil person. And so we read this. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. You've heard it, right? And... We don't fully understand that. This was a culture of honor and shame. And so if you, uh, were, you caught your fish, you were walking back to your home, and a tax collector, Matthew was a tax collector, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, Matthew, that evil tax collector. Look at me with your evil eyes. Some of you do anyway, but evil eyes. Come to the tax collector, and I'm like, how many fish did you catch today? And you said, I caught ten fish. And I said, give me six. You're like, six? I thought the tax was two. Well, yeah, two for the Romans, um, two for your fellow Galileans, two for me, so six. Do you want more? You want to give me more? And you're like, no, 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 that, that's not fair. I don't have it to give you because I already passed some to my friend down there, so I only have five fish. I can't give you all of them. Now, in this uh, culture of honor and shame, Matthew steps up on the table and backhands you. And when he backhands you, he hits you on which cheek? Keith, if I backhanded you right now, which cheek would it be? It would be your, it would be your right cheek. So if, one, if someone strikes you on the right, turn the other, right? The idea was if I, if I, backhand, if I slap you on one cheek, I've, I've dishonored you. I've shamed you. I'm better than you. And what Jesus is saying is when that happens, you don't resist by fighting back. You turn the other cheek, and what you've done is you've shifted the power dynamic at play. And you've said, don't treat me as inferior. If you're going to hit me, hit me as an equal. Does that make sense? 
Isn't that fascinating? And he continues, if you are sued, in other words, if you're sued for your outer garment, taken to court, you're sued for your outer garment, and, and they win, and what Jesus is doing, he's playing with power dynamics here. Give them your outer garment, but also give them your inner garment, which means you are, yes, you have no clothes on, which then shames them and says, the power has shifted. You thought you were taking something from me. Now I freely give you what's mine. Do you see that? Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's like saying, you know, don't, don't just roll over, but shift the whole playing field to bring up this level of equality. If a soldier demands, so you're with your family, you're on a picnic or something like that, and a soldier walks by, which was within his power, and he says, I want you to carry this a mile for me, my pack. I'm allowed to ask you to carry it. And you say, no, no, I'm going to take it all the way to your house, three miles away. What have you done? You've taken back ownership of your own humanness. Are you with me? Does that make sense? It's incredibly powerful what Jesus is teaching here. So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He's talking about this idea of reconciliation and, and revenge and all these different things. And he continues, you've heard the law, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which hate your enemy isn't in uh, quotes because it's not actually in the law. It's assumed. When I, when I hear love your neighbor, I can assume I'm allowed to hate my enemy. That's what they did in their day. But I say, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, and in that way, you will be acting as true children of God. Here it is again. We're called children of God when we love our enemies. And then Jesus gives a lesson in weather. What? For God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Learn something from your heavenly father. Give your love not only those, to those who love you, but give your love also to those who hate you. Apart from feelings, Skyjathani says, apart from feelings, um, which few of us can really control, real love, when we're talking about love here, it means to will the good of another person. That's what Jesus is talking about, is to will the good. And I began to make some notes here because most of us, and we've talked about this, love means so many different things to us. You know, um, last night we had Grimaldi's, and I love Grimaldi's. It was so good. And I also love my wife and my kids, but not the same that I love pizza, but we use the same word to try to describe the two different things, which is crazy. Jesus is not telling you to have some warm, fuzzy feelings for your enemies because you're not going to be able to do that. All right, does that make sense? Like it's not about warm, fuzzy feelings. He's not asking us to feel any sort of good emotion towards our enemy, but rather that we would choose a less traveled path, one of self-sacrifice, humility, and love towards our enemy, which is a choice that we make, not a feeling that we have. So loving our enemies isn't trying to convince ourselves to feel good about someone else that we don't like. It's about choosing for their good over our own good. Um, let, let me, let me kind of give you 
I guess one of the, the best examples that we have in our kind of our um, history that's, that's still close to us enough to see how this comes into play in real life. Um, I, I think the person that we would say um, is, a, is an example of this better than anyone else would be Martin Luther King Jr. I think he had a way of doing this. And listen, we all have our flaws, right? We're all imperfect. What Martin Luther King Jr. did so well is took the teachings of Jesus and put them, specific teachings, in, in such practice. And here's something that, that he said that I just find fascinating. Within the best of us, there is some evil. Know that about yourself. Within the best of you is some evil. And within the worst of us, there is some good. So when it comes to your enemy, here's, here's the practical walk away idea. When it comes to your enemy, and I want you to think about someone who you would consider, someone that you really don't like. Can you get them in your mind right now? Someone that you really don't like and someone who really doesn't like you? Because that's true too. There's people who don't like you very much. Like, can you get your enemy in your mind, someone you really don't like? And what he says is discover the element of good in your enemy and place your attention there. Try it. Try to allow that to be the center of, of your mind rather than what it is that you hate about that person, and then you'll take on a new attitude. Like if you can just find that good element and put your attention there rather than on the evil that you disagree with or you dislike or that you just can't stand, that that will begin to change. And what Jesus, I think, is trying to, 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 to bring us to in all of this is that we live in a wor world of cycle. And in this world of cycle, we begin to believe when someone hurts us, the only thing that we should do is hurt them back, that we should retaliate, that they should receive the equal of what they did to us. That is the world in which we live. It's a, it's a cycle of retaliation and pain and selfishness, and anger, and eventually it's a cycle of hate. And we begin to build what I think we see now and what you hear called a, a culture of outrage. People drive us crazy. Come on. Yeah, see? People drive us crazy, and we live in this, this spirit of outrage, and it's like, Hate begets hate. We just begin to get all this negative energy in us and we build it and we build it and we build it and we think, I deserve to hurt them because they hurt me. And Jesus says, not in the kingdom. Not in the kingdom. Following Jesus turns the table. I mean, if... If you've never read some of Martin Luther King Jr.'s writings, read them. They're so powerful. Some of this you've heard. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie. And this, is from, this, this comes directly from the teachings of Jesus. I mean, he, he is writing based on what he has begun to under, un, understood as, as he takes in the teachings of Jesus. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie. And you cannot establish the truth by killing someone else. You just can't do it. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely 
increases hate. What he's saying is that we're in, we can get in these cycles, and it's what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying this is why it's important to pay attention to the anger that is within us and the outrage that is within us. And it doesn't just happen out there on the streets. Friends, it happens in our homes, and it is exactly what leads to divided homes each and every day. When we begin to allow these things to eat us up from the inside, they come out, they spill out, they will spill out. He continues on, um, Martin Luther King. So, so it goes, returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And it's exactly why Jesus says, love your enemies. Don't just feel good about your enemy. Love your enemies. Will their good. The greatest picture we have is, is the picture of Jesus. Who, though he was innocent and beaten, he he willingly laid down his life and didn't just lay down his life, but he even spoke forgiveness as he hung on the cross to the people who nailed the people who hung him there, the, the, the people who were spitting and, jeer and laughing and mocking him like he he prayed for their forgiveness. You know, it's interesting. I, there's this one of my, uh, if you've ever seen this picture, this picture was, was taken of Martin Luther King Jr. in his front yard in the early 60s. I don't know the exact year and time, but his, um, this, this cross was put on his lawn and burned. And for so many people, a burning cross was just this picture of hatred. You talk about dehumanization. I mean, that's what it, what it was. But for Martin Luther King Jr., the cross was a symbol of God's greatest love. And so this morning, um, that, that he walked out and, and saw this cross, he went back in his house and he put on his suit. Which is almost like the teachings of Jesus. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other. And with dignity... And, and bearing his humanness, he walks out with his son and he takes out the cross. And I can imagine the, the feelings. I mean, I, I can't imagine the feelings of it. I imagined as he did that, he, he prayed a prayer of blessing over those who burned the cross in his yard because the words of Jesus rang true in his heart and in his mind. And that's, that's what the teachings of Jesus should move us towards. Now, most of us will never experience what he experienced, right? Most of us won't experience that. But I'll tell you what, we are being driven apart by our love of politic and position 
and power. We're being driven apart every single day. And you and I, we might not want to admit it, but we have enemies. We have people who drive us crazy. We have people that we would, I mean, we wouldn't say it here in church because we're in church and we, would, we don't want to say this, but we have people that we hate. And Jesus says, those are the people. They are the ones that this teaching's about. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Live the life of Jesus. Um, so we're gonna finish by taking communion to remember the picture that they gave us. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and uh, they're gonna begin with just a, a minute of this song. So if you need to get the elements, you can slip back and grab them. So Jesus, in these, these moments, we, we turn to you, we center on you, we focus on you. Your teachings are so powerful and true. I pray that we would um, let our minds and hearts absorb them. I pray that we would own them.